Welcome to the Box Tunnel Survivors Group, a place for those affected by the issues raised in the TV show, Being Human. Hello, my name is Michael and there's no other way to say this. I'm a being human addict, but I'm not going to get any help here, am I? In the Box Tunnel Survivors Group, a place where I talk with fellow fans in excruciatingly geeky detail about my favourite TV show. Fuck it, I'm a being human fan, and I'm proud. Before we move on to Educating Creature, I would just like to go through a bit of cast watch, because there's quite a bit going on. Aidan Turner is starring in a West End play at the moment called Lemons, 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 Lemons. So let's just stick to the hashtag. It's called Lemons the Play on the hashtag. Co-starring Jenna Coleman as well. There's about, as this goes out, there's about a week left of the London run. And then it goes to Manchester and Brighton. I went a couple of weeks ago with a few of the Being Human bloggers. I was initially going to be up in the balcony, but Sue, who has been on the show before, pulled out. And I ended up with a front row seat. Now, it wasn't until I got into the theatre just how close and central my ticket was to the stage. Anyone who knows me, and certainly my girlfriend, will know that Jenna Coleman is my celebrity crush. So being one foot at some stages away from Jenna Coleman must have been how some of the people around me felt being in that close to Aidan Turner. So that was quite an experience in itself. In terms of the play... Let's forget the shallow stuff. I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Potentially some of it was a bit middle class or upper middle class or whatever you want to call it. But then most theatre shows and productions are. But it was a really interesting analysis of a relationship. How you use words when you're limited in a relationship. How much you use at work. How much you use at home. How much you use for silly stuff or important stuff. It was a very complex show and... Jenna and Aiden have got great, great chemistry together, but they also had a lot of energy and commitment to a show that has a hell of a lot of words to it, but also is very complicated in the way that they flit around between scenes and go around the stage and they flash back and forth in time. Um, I would like, I would say, the only downside I would say really was... They didn't really go into details about why the hush law was introduced or how they enforced it. But overall, I don't think that's probably what it's about. It's more to do with the relationship. And honestly, if you can get tickets, London, Manchester and Brighton, I would recommend it thoroughly. In other news on TV, Sinead Keenan has started her role on the fifth series of Unforgiven. She... I don't want to say replaces Nicola Walker, but essentially the character kind of does. I've seen the first episode. And it's great to see Sinead in a big lead role in an ITV prime drama like this. It's a show I've tried getting into in the past. The last two or three series, I've probably watched the first one or two episodes. And I've not quite got there with it. I would give this more of a chance because Sinead's in it. And everyone raves about it. And I haven't quite seen from the previous series why everyone is raving about it but i'm going to give it another go so that will be on itv on monday nights all up on itvx at once as well and if you've got amazon prime another show that i don't really know a lot about is carnival row andrew gower stars in the second series of wow what is it about as far as i understand it's about fairies and boobs so if you like fairies and you like boobs go go see carnival row and just Speaking of ITVX, there's a weird thing going on at the minute. I cancelled my subscription to BritBox because I knew that Being Human was now on ITVX and I'd heard it was without, without adverts. So I tried watching Being Human on ITVX and I saw that it would had all those gaps in the... While it wouldn't load, it hasn't improved much from ITV Hub, I could see that there were gaps in there for the adverts. So essentially... 
I went back to BritBox, thought, well, I'm going to sign up to BritBox again. And when I tried to do that, it took me to a link to ITVX. Now, when ITVX came about, they were kind of saying, oh, no, BritBox is still going to stay the same and it's not going to be any different. It does seem a weird mix of BBC shows, old shows, new shows, and exactly what BritBox was, and they're guiding you there. So I don't really know what what's the situation with BritBoxes anymore. I would say BBC just need to put it back on iPlayer, and hopefully we can get it back on Netflix in the UK as well. Now on to my chat with Alice about Educating Creature, Series 2, Episode 4, written by Jamie Matheson, and as well as Lenora, Russell, Aidan and Sinead, and the bulk of the cast for Series 2. We're joined by new characters in the form of Brian Dick as Sykes, Lucy Gaskell as Sam, and Vincent Franklin as Ross, or Principal Dickhead. It's time to welcome back for a third time, not quite the record as we were just discussing off mic, to the podcast, Alice. Hello, thank you for having me again and inviting me back. Wow, no one else was available. I thought you must be desperate. (laughs) Um, Yeah, really, the one thing I wanted to ask you before we cracked on with Educating Creature is this Toby Whithouse has recently given an interview to Radio Times. There's an interesting little interview generally not a lot that us nerds would not know but it did kind of creep out that there was the idea of a or a possibility that there would be a being human movie at one stage what did you make of that well obviously i would have loved any more being human content that we could have possibly had but it did say something along the lines of it would have been with like a different trinity a different cast mm. So I'm not I think I feel like maybe that was the right decision to not go for another like a completely different cast. I think if we'd have got a film, I would have liked it to have at least covered somebody that we knew from the actual series. Yeah, I think Toby kind of said he'd exhausted the whole Trinity thing. He he'd run out of ideas almost to an extent. He couldn't come up with another new Trinity. I feel like he said something at the um, thing in December about possibly looking into like how Leo and Pearl when they were a bit younger, which would have been quite cool to see. But yeah, if it was completely new, then I'm not sure how that would have gone down. And also I don't think eight, nine years ago, potentially when this could have happened and cinema was a bit more, you know, TV and cinema are kind of blur- blurring now and things that get released on Netflix that go out in the cinema and all that kind of thing. But if it was just a cinema release initially for something like Being Human, which you've got to remember is a BBC free show, it's not even like BBC One, and and it had an entirely new cast, who would go to see it? Because the people who loved the original Trinity would be like, well, who are they? And the people who loved how Tom and Alex would be, well, that's not how Tom and Alex. So you're you're giving it being human to a potentially new audience, but it's not with any recognisable faces. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't even sort of thought of that. I think you get kind of spoiled nowadays, don't you? I kind of almost would have expected it to be like your Netflix sort of film release on. But as you say, at that time, it would have been cinema. So, yeah, maybe yeah. it wouldn't have worked quite so well. And also, I just, perhaps I'm a traditionalist, I just think... Peaky Blinders has officially ended as a TV series, but it's going to have a film. And I know Luther, which is another series I loved, has now got a film which is in certain cinemas, but it's also in going to be on Netflix about a week or two later. So I just think if it's a TV show and you can say so much in a TV show, why are you reducing it then to a 90-minute two-hour film. Yeah, because when you sort of think like for the series, we're getting six or eight hours to tell one overarching story, like you say, and then you, you think you've, you're getting more with the film, but actually you're getting a lot less. If it was around the time when it was Damien, Michael and Kate doing it, and it had been them, of course, we would have oh, been absolutely. so excited for it, but it, it, it does seem weird, because they're doing it's just quite a small BBC free show to go, well, we were in talking stages about having a film so it's maybe a feature length final episode 
Yeah, potentially. Could have been good. Yeah, potentially just to wrap it up fully, maybe. All right, what we'll do is we will crack on with Educating Creature, which is Series 2, Episode 4. Before we start, what was your thoughts on this episode? When was the last time you saw this episode before looking back at it again? Oh, um, I think before we started to rewatch for the podcast, I think it was a couple of years ago. I think I rewatched the series just before it came off of Netflix in 2020. So it's probably mm. been a little while since I'd seen series two. Yeah, I always think about this episode as it's not one that I think a lot of fans refer to a lot or it's not got many memorable quotes or anything like that. So it was interesting to go back and step into this because I probably hadn't seen this one in full for a couple of years either and just wonder why that is. It's a, it's a perfectly solid episode. I don't think it's one that stands out considered amongst the best. Yeah, it? I think like that's a thing I sort of found with series two in that there's some really strong episodes in there and then sort of maybe some less strong but they're still good episodes. Like I think I felt like that about episode three. I'd sort of thought that wasn't one that I particularly liked. And then when I was listening to the last episode of the podcast, I was like, oh actually yeah that mm. did have some good moments in it and I think this one's probably the same. Yeah, um, I think there's always that argument about the with certainly UK TV shows six episodes a series or eight episodes a series, and some people would say if you've got eight, you're using a bit more filler. But yeah, like you said, but I don't think there is much filler really in this episode, is no. there? And I think Sykes is a character that is quite underrated, maybe amongst like the fandom, and sort of gets a bit lost compared to Gilbert. But I think he's still quite an interesting character as well. He's probably got more of an interesting backstory than someone like Gilbert, maybe. Yeah, there's a bit more going on, isn't there? Yeah. Um, like you say, I don't think it's filler. I just think probably in terms of the better episodes, it probably doesn't stand out. But that's not just, that's not really an insult to some Yeah. All right. So we start in a science lab and Lucy is talking to herself and Kemp appears to her from behind. Professor Jaggett, he says, and he says it in such a soft way that we haven't got used to. It's not Professor Jaggett. Uh, this is a flashback to a year previously, and he's tracked Lucy down because of the wonderful papers she wrote last year. Your theory of a gene that could be the cause of all evil was a revelation. And she argues that they're not based on facts, but Kemp is insistent and talks of a recent sample of blood that makes no sense. What was it? Lucy asks. Evil. Kemp replies. <laughs> I don't know why. I've always had this thing in my head that the sample of blood that Lucy got given was from Mitchell when he was got taken into the hospital when he got stabbed by Herrick. And sort of looking back, it makes absolutely zero sense time-wise. But I, why I thought that if it was a year ago, but I just completely got that impression. No, that's true. I, I've never occurred to me that to be honest. But I guess no time-wise it doesn't because in terms of the leap between series one and series two there's only about a month or so about a month isn't there yeah but bristol's overrun with vampires isn't yeah it? so I one guess... of them must have ended up in hospital or having a sample of blood taken yeah i don't know and also with kemp i just think he would answer evil to anything <laughs> <laughs> what do you want for dinner tonight evil <laughs> how would you describe ed sheeran's music <laughs> Evil. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that's just that's my that's my answer. <laughs> Kemp offers her a business card. It probably states Kemp, head of the Evil Corporation. <laughs> and now we are back in the modern day, and Annie is following a postman because, face it, if you're dead and visible, there's probably not a lot else you can do. Uh, a nearby situation grabs her attention in an alleyway. A couple of people, police officers, are next to a dead body. I find this bit, this is probably the first time I've noticed this bit, is they're a bit dismissive. There's a dead man in an alleyway, and they clearly go, nah, it's drugs, case closed. Yeah, it's like, oh, he's obviously homeless, we don't really care. That sort yeah. of thing. I feel sorry for That's Annie bit... as well. Like These these walks never seem to end well for her, because the next time we <laughs> see her on one, she gets followed home by Sasha. This is why she probably did want to just stay in the house when we first met yeah. her. Whenever she goes outside, something terrible happens. Uh, the spirit of the junkie, sorry, I mean man with feelings, turns over his own body. He clocks Annie. 
They told me to wait for you, he says. And then he grabs her by the arms and the door appears in the billboard. And it kind of makes, there's a big picture of children above them blowing out a candle, I think. Yeah. It, it kind of makes that picture look really sinister. It's quite, I think, yeah, it sort of um, sums the series up, doesn't it? They've got some cheery billboard and then there's just this horrible thing happening. We cut to the kitchen at the pink house and George is very excited about sausages. Nina, it seems, has made him see the light about sausages and other things. I am making a list, he says to Mitchell. Lists solve everything. You put the thing on the list and you do the thing and then you tick it off. And in that way, order is achieved. Absolutely. He's almost gone hyper to the other extent now. Completely. But I do agree with, with George that lists do solve everything and I live by them. Yeah, Mitchell's looking a bit concerned. Um, he's not really convinced that George is taking the Nina thing too well. And he doesn't want any sausages. Back in the alleyway, a bright light gives way to an unfamiliar face. No, this isn't the other side. Yes, I did save you from the door. And yes, I'm dead too. Considering what the door means in being human and Annie's history in particular... There's something about this, I mean, maybe because it's really at the start of the episode and you know no real threat's going to happen, it doesn't feel very dramatic. Maybe it's because Sykes is so quite dismissive of it as well. But it's mm. not as... Like, that scene with Soul in episode two, it's sort of not got that... Like I say, it's not got that fear or that uh, sort of drama to it. Uh, the man's name is Sykes. He has an air of misplaced self-belief from the start and he's dismissing, dismissing Annie's requests for help. You're not my responsibility. We're just ghost love, flotsam and jetsam. And I thought it was very interesting to bring that term back as well. Yeah. At the house, George is explaining himself. This whole time, I haven't wanted to think about what happens to me once a month during my hairy times. But as of now, I'm facing it. The conclusion, he's going to buy a cage. It's number one on his list. Uh, Mitchell is finding it all very amusing, and Annie, bored of stalking the postman, is now chasing after Sykes. Fighting the man behind the door is grown-up stuff, Sykes insists. Annie, grown-up stuff? You're about nine! And we learn that Sykes actually died at the age of 23, and it's not difficult from his uniform to ascertain when he died. He knows Annie has turned down the doors three times because he can read auras. There's loads of um, new, like, ghost lore introduced in this episode, isn't there? So, mm. like, aura reading's the first one. We see the tasting a little bit later on. Yeah, and that's why I think any of this episode is particularly throwaway either, because there are lots of things introduced. At the funeral parlour, Mitchell is served up a woman on a plate by a fellow vampire called Campbell. He found her online in an emo message board. That's... <laughs> I think there's slight implications with inviting a human into a vampire lair and offering them to drink them. Mitchell kind of sends her on away, gives her bus money, and I'm just thinking, I hope she doesn't go to the local newspaper. Yeah, well, I was thinking actually, like when I was sort of rewatching this, I think it's quite important to kind of remember that this was airing in early 2010, and that was kind of right in the middle of the, the Twilight craze. Yeah, and. Like Vampire Diaries and True Blood, and all of it was a lot of vampire media out there, and a, a lot of people in that kind of like it, it's more be, like quite believable that there'd be teenage girls doing that type of thing or talking that way. Yeah, and I guess Michaela in series four is another example of yeah. that, isn't it? <laughs> Although she took it to more extremes. Yeah, so as he ushers her away, Ivan is standing at the door and he, as she leaves, he goes mourning to Mitchell. Ivan goes on to tell Mitchell of an alcoholic he knew and it sparks an idea immediately in Mitchell's head. This is that one like line he says about um, this, this alcoholic and how they went to, how it started having Advoca. Is, it, is that how I pronounce yeah. it? That's something yeah. that always like pops into my head during sort of Christmas time when you see that in the supermarkets. Just here. <laughs> Isn't it weird the things that like stick with you on certain things? Like yeah. A little line like that. Uh, George, meanwhile, is shopping for a cage, and he'd much rather think people he's a se it's a sex cage than a werewolf one for obvious reasons. Uh, this cage also comes with complimentary handcuffs, and we immediately then get the cage having been just delivered. 
Yeah, so it must be an express delivery because that was a quick delivery. Especially as that guy's like a blacksmith or something, isn't he? So he's had to build that first. Yeah. Unbelievable, George Size. Tell me there isn't anybody left in Bristol who can't have a shag without being tied up first. I find George saying the word shag quite unsettling. <laughs> I don't know why. It just didn't seem right to me. Oh, and he's yeah, in ordering his sex cage and he's just in his little denim jacket. It seems yeah. wrong. <laughs> with that necklace around him as well George's rant is interrupted by Sykes who is in the living room well better they think you're a nonce than a werewolf surely uh, Mitchell starts interrogating Sykes and Annie gets Mitchell away from the conversation George drops in some excellent small talk so been dead long he's getting better at his small talk to be <laughs> fair he's come a long way from killed a pigeon with a shoe <laughs> Mitchell is suspicious of Sykes' intentions and the coincidence of him showing off, obviously, with what's happened to Annie in the previous couple of episodes. He's wary of anyone having that effect that Saul had. And wary of a stranger. Mm. George is challenging Sykes, saying it's his duty to do it, but Sykes puts his cards on the table. Do you know why I don't want to teach you? Because there's only one passing grade. Any Anything less than an A+, plus, then they've got you. You're gone. And Annie responds, If you don't teach me, then I'm gone anyway. They agree to meet tomorrow morning. And George, as he leaves, goes, Well, I liked him. <laughs> I think, yeah, nine o'clock if it's okay with your two dads as well. Because at least Sykes is also picking up on that defensive of Annie thing that's going on there. Yeah, and there's also... The way he says, well, I liked him, is is kind of literally how Mitchell's just described him to Annie with a hyper-fixed grin. <laughs> it's like he's he's overcompensating, isn't he? Yeah, he's trying to pretend he's fine, but he, he's not, is he? At Vampire HQ, we are suddenly in the world's weirdest... What would you call it? So Almost like a survivor's group. They, yeah. I mean, it's Alcoholics Anonymous, but not... And vampires. No, they're not Vampires Anonymous, are they? <laughs> yeah. Blood, Bloodsuckers Anonymous. Bloodsuckers Anonymous. I can imagine that that is basically the equivalent of this podcast. In 20, 30, 40 years' time, we'll be sat around a circle like that on chairs going, <laughs> hello, my name's Michael. I don't watch many new shows. I still watch Being Human. I still quote <laughs> it every day of my life. I can't help it. <laughs> I'm a Being Human addict. <laughs> Uh, so Campbell gets up. He says, my name is Campbell and I'm a blood addict. Uh, Hitler fucker Nan is there too. God bless her. She makes a little camera cameo. I like how you, you see a lot of the um, the background vampires come back. There's like the, the guy that wears the sort of, he's got a bald head and he's got a little like um, reddish tint to his glasses yeah, or something yeah, yeah. that works in the funeral parlour. And like you say, Nana. And then there's, you see the teenager that Kara recruited as well a few times. Yeah, I wonder how many of the vampire extras are just part of crew. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought of that either. Yeah, I think I think the ones that are literally just linger in the background and just don't say anything or aren't that present at the front of the screen are probably just crew. After the meeting, Ivan is furious with Mitchell. Please don't say you got that idea from me. He berates him. Don't be fucking ridiculous. It's like when they dress up those bears and make them dance with the tourists in Istanbul. This great big mountain of power and fury done up in a fez and a waistcoat <laughs> and all the time you're just waiting for them to wake up realize what it is and tear someone's throat out <laughs> horrific i mean i've got photos if you want <laughs> oh i gotta love ivan i oh, can't be a I good w- ivan monologue <laughs> well, i kind of want to see them photos as well he just he sells it <laughs> he's, he's lived such a life that man Definitely would like to go travelling with him just to... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, before he rips your throat out, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell asks Ivan to join the group. You're an old one. If you can go clean overnight, then the programme is suddenly legitimate. I'm not sure how Mitchell sells this argument, really, because he he jogs off almost like the joys of vampiredom. The thirst, the senses, the memories, and all that kind of thing. And to me, that's not going to make Ivan go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. All that stuff I really like, I'm going to put that to one side. 
I think it maybe like Mitchell's picking up on because you kind of get this sense in the first couple of episodes, don't you know, that Ivan's almost like because he's old, like an old one, he's just bored and he can't feel anything, and that's why it confuses him when um, George makes Daisy sort of begin to feel again. Yes, yes, he, and then he has mentioned that before that he's he's can't feel anything or under, he yeah, can't so, emotions or. Mitchell sort of cells going dry, doesn't he? It's like you'll feel this stab of pure, undiluted sensation. I guess so. I've not viewed it like that. Like it's going to be a challenge to him, and and yeah, yeah. Like you'll, you'll it'll be horrible, but at least you'll be feeling something. Yeah, that's true. Actually, uh, we cut to a school, and George is waiting for a job interview, and gets into some dodgy flirting about water with a member of staff. <laughs> I always find this bit a weird. I've never never spoken about this scene to anyone else because it's so niche but i wonder if you think the same there's a bit where he's been he's talking to sam as we come to know her and then all of a sudden in the same shot he's acknowledging her we hear off screen a voice saying what's wrong with you and then george turns round and there is a man standing over him in a really tight space behind the desk now he wasn't there all the time because no. Sam has said, oh, he'll be in in a minute. So unless he descended from the ceiling. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's like how they've cut the two scenes together, I isn't it? it? But it's an, an odd way of doing it. Yeah, I don't know whether it's purposely supposed to just, like, it's a player and they're on the stage and then the light dims one side and then George turns around to the other thing and then, yeah. and then he's there. Or whether it's just a weird edit. I think it's just a weird edit. Yeah, probably. Because he's literally think... acknowledging Sam in the shot as the principal is talking to him. Yeah. The one thing I sort of like about that shot where he is having his interview is you can see just behind the like the the boss, there's, there's that mug, isn't there? Like, I'm the boss. And yeah. he's just, he, as you find out later, he's like, he's not a very nice person, is he? <laughs> <laughs> he gives off that impression straight away, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. I think like series two is sort of it's like the series of humans as a villain, isn't it? And I kind of think you always think of obviously Camp and Jagger and Lloyd at the sense of facility, and then you've got sort of um, the police chief mm. that is quite dodgy, isn't he as well? And Soul, I think this I, I don't do you even get a name for George's boss? Like he sort of don't he doesn't make the list, but I think he should. I'm going to call him the principal, Principal Dick. Yeah. Um, he is dubious about George's credentials and George kind of covers it up with a story about a traumatic accident and that's why he's been a porter for a couple of years and it's kind of true he's just hinting that something like a car accident and not scratched by a werewolf I think George comes across really Mm. well in that interview actually it's probably the most successful job interview we see in (laughs) the series (laughs) yeah yeah the others don't go well no especially Mitchell's uh, Annie and Sykes are then in the park, and Sykes explains that for their agents, uh, speaking of the men with sticks and rope, they usually pick the mentally weak, the depressed, insane, the alcoholics. But learn to read auras, and you can spot them a mile off. I always think with the Saul thing, they kind of pinpointed him, maybe because he mentions to Annie that he had an accident, and he did say he, he saw the men with sticks and ropes then. Whether they automatically guided him to Annie without his knowledge I think that is sort of right like you say and I think because he has a the time he ends up in the hospital he's been drink driving hasn't he and I think was his first accident drink driving as well so there's that aspect with him as well that he could be like a bit of an alcoholic yeah that's true actually um Sykes asks Annie to read the aura of a stranger going past and she does so incredibly quickly Either she's naturally gifted or Sykes is a really good teacher. So he asks to read Sykes' aura, but he gets tetchy and establishes that the only rule is not to go there. I think he's fair in that. Well, he, like we've, he has his secrets, doesn't he? And I think um, something interesting about like the going back to sorry to the men with sticks and ropes and how they sort of pick their agents. Mm. That's one of the things I sort of wish they'd have gone back to in some of the later series, especially sort of going on to series five and how Hatch works and because he kind of controls the men with six and ropes and the things mm. that 
like that he gets people to do. I don't know. I think if they'd have gone back to where they started with that, in yeah, sort of I mean, there's references showed the link to... more. It could have been quite. Um... I won't say too much because it's series five, but there's it's almost like what happened in series five is an exaggerated version of what's happening here, and maybe there wasn't there needed to be a bit more middle ground to get to there, yeah, we kind of lose them a bit and sort of I suppose the series three thing with um Leah kind of comes across on similar ground, but yeah, there's just like there's there's some really interesting bits of. Like, as I say, ghost law introduced in here, and I kind of just wish they'd have yeah. so, used some of them a bit more. No, I was just going to say, although I don't know where they would have brought the aura reading back in again, but it's just sort of think they could have yeah, brought to it be up fair, again though, just because they've introduced the aura it. Reading, it does seem like <laughs> you can just look at someone and then read their aura. <laughs> He's not really taught much. Yeah. Um. At the hospital, no. Mitchell catches up with Lucy and wants to make amends. He gives her the opportunity to ask him 20 questions and he says he'll answer them truthfully. Being Mitchell, we know this isn't true. He hints at things, he misdirects and gives part of the facts without being totally honest. I.e. when Lucy asks, where were you yesterday? He says, I was at an AA meeting. When she says, oh, I didn't have you down as an alcoholic or that effect he says well let's just say alcohol wasn't my drug of choice so he's not he's he's doing the Mitchell thing he's not yeah because she calls him yeah. out doesn't she because she's like oh hang on I yeah, thought you have a drink it's just the form of the truth and the way that Mitchell wants to present it and that, that's, that's the weird thing yeah. Lucy is clearly very aware of what's going on and she knows she's playing Mitchell I suppose as well for Mitchell it's something he's probably got used to doing over the, the last however many decades like because um, obviously you can't go around and tell everyone that you're a vampire so he's probably always gone for I'll give them half a truth and um, like so it's not like I'm lying No, you, to be fair I I am always a bit harsh on Mitchell for being a liar but then to exist yeah. he does have to lie to get to get by so it's it's become second nature I suppose uh, as Lucy takes leave, George enters and they both have some boyish banter about her. And then George reveals he's handed in his notice. As of now, I am a language teacher, just pretending to be a porter. Because he's not concentrating, George accidentally slams the bed into the wall. And the first rule of Porter Club is don't crash your patients into a wall. Ah, don't worry about it, he says. He's got enough tramps to keep a horse out. And there is a moment where you pretty much see the light bulb appear above George's head. Then we get another um, shot of George's list, don't we? And we see that he's completed some of the other things on his list, including um, polishing his shoes, which I just noticed when I paused the thing. And he's now added uh, get tranquilizers and knock out the wolf to it. Yeah, exactly. The list is, I wrote the list down. Buy a cage. Crossed out. Get a better job. Crossed out. Soundproof room, crossed out. Eat a better diet, not crossed out. Get fit, not crossed out. Polish shoes, crossed out. Get tranquilizers, which he crosses out. And then knock out the wolf, which is the last one. Yeah, so yeah, there's a covert operation in the middle of the corridor in the hospital where Mitchell hands over George some tranquilizer. Well, tranquilizers? Yeah, some sort of pill. I, I view tranquilizers yeah. as needles, but... The um one fun fact about we we see him take them pills later in the episode um during the Comic Con in twenty sixteen I think Russell Tovey said that those um the placebo sort of pills that he took for that scene made his wee smell like fish so he, he went <laughs> he, 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 yeah it's like fish piss that's what it smelled like <laughs> that is delightful. Oh my god, that that is a horrendous. <laughs> it's not even an image. It's just. <laughs> so anyway, he ticks off, get tranquilizer, and he goes, "I love this." And Mitchell responds, "Yeah, you do." Uh, we see George enter his new look room, or rather, it's Annie's room. Uh, it's all padded walls and a huge cage and a camera to film himself. And then we are in the facility, and Kemp's ominous tones once more return. Hello, Nina. 
We see Nina in the decompression chamber as George locks himself in the cage. Yeah, I think with hindsight, I wouldn't have expected Nina to be so quickly in the cage, in the, 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 in the decompression unit. Obviously, her story moves so quickly in series two. Yeah, I, I suppose it's difficult to tell how much time's passed, isn't it, between her leaving and I suppose mm. maybe it's been a month if she's been around the facility. But I found this really uncomfortable to sort of watch as it's playing out, even though you can you know, like you've seen it enough times to know that what we see happen in episode one doesn't actually happen to Nina this time. But yeah, it's quite a, a tricky watch. I think anything with time wise in being human is we just have to try and guess as best we can with the month, yeah. don't we? By by the full moon. I know I know it's always it's not always month by month, but as a general rule. She might have been there for a few weeks. Uh Lucy walks in and on Kemp and Pink and she expresses concern. Nina is panicking, her nose starts to bleed. This is how we learn, Kemp says. This is how we help them. We can recalculate for the next one. The next one being George is who they want next. Full moon strikes. Nina shakes violently in the chamber, which is pretty horrific, considering we know what happened in there before. And while George lies sprawled across the floor. And it's weird because it's two werewolves contained by different forces. Like George is being put out by the drugs and Nina's being almost put put out by the decompression. Yeah, I've never really thought of it that way either. And I think it's one of those scenes where the sound and everything really helps with the horror. Because you like see mm. hearing Nina screaming and the, the heart rate monitors go in and there's all these other alarms going off, isn't there, in the background. Whereas, yeah, George is seemingly at peace. It's a total contrast, isn't it? Uh, Lucy screams at them to turn the pressure down. and Despite being unconscious, Nina still turns into a werewolf. Uh, she says, if you want to bring George in, you need to keep Nina alive and believing, Lucy tells an unconvinced Kemp. I always find with Kemp, he actually gives away a bit of his thinking later in the episode, but does he really want to save the souls of werewolves because it, and give them redemption? Because it's like he's just on yeah. a killing spree of them. He's, do, he's doing it in the name of science, but he's not concerned. No, and he, is he? he's called out for that, isn't he, later in the series? But yeah, you kind of get the picture here that he's sort of like, oh, we'll do it, we'll try it again. They've not changed anything on the, the to to the procedure, have they? And he's like, oh, we'll try it again with the next one, quite blasé about yeah. it. But yeah, he's sort of, he doesn't mind killing all the, the werewolves off that way. Whereas Jagger yeah. and Lucy, she's still believes in what they're doing and she still thinks they're genuinely trying to find a cure yeah it's like he's luring them in to kill them and in the name of science in the name of helping them that's that's the impression it gives the next morning george excitedly bundles into the living room do you want to see the most beautiful sight in all god's creation he puts in a disc into the tv it's a sleeping werewolf it's eight hours of a sleeping werewolf and Mitchell and Annie look on in disbelief. He says, I've done it. I've put the wolf to sleep. I'm free. And lucky old Mitchell gets a smelly hug, which probably smells of fish piss. <laughs> fish piss and <laughs> dog. <laughs> uh, now whenever I see that scene, I'm just going to think fish piss. Well, if I have to think of that every time now, then I'm glad to have shared it with you and the rest of your listeners. <laughs> Thanks, Russell. Uh, next up, we are in the classroom on George's first day of teaching language. Hopefully, he did have that shower, because otherwise he'd be stinking of fish piss. <laughs> Great first impression to your class. He gets dragged into teaching the students about swear words. What is fuck? That, 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 that sounded weird, Geordie. <laughs> it didn't sound whatever he was trying to do. Uh, I think, let's be honest, they were taking for a ride. They all knew what the swear words are. Yeah, he can't. He is. He say that as well, doesn't he? He's like, "Oh, well, I'm the new teacher, and you're just trying it on." Back at the pink house, Annie and Sykes are sat in front of the television for a lesson, and he says they used the they use them to recruit agents to spy on us, and sometimes to come through. If they're in control, there's a frequency you can feel. It's low, like a bo like a bass hum. 
So the first lesson is turning the telly off with your mind. Although Sykes doesn't help this by fancying the weather bill. It's like uh, when Annie realises that he's blocking her and it's just because it's a, a blonde weather presenter as well. Her face, it's like yeah. you can hear the conversation she was having in the previous episode about blondes and why all men seem to fancy them. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It had to be a blonde, didn't it? A low buzz start, hum starts buzzing and the weather girl starts summoning them, but Annie manages to switch it off. Which she could have done with a remote anyway. <laughs> so, back in the classroom, George is joining the room in a chorus of shut the fuck up. Uh, from the corridor, the principal, Principal Dick, is annoyed, and you could argue that's justified, but his body language when he invites Russell... Russell? <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, you know, my mate Russell. Rustov. <laughs> oh, Rustov. Uh, when he invites George, let's be professional about this, Invites George out in the corridor is really intrusive, pinning him almost to the wall, getting in his face, getting him to it's repeat really the lines he's saying. It's horrible. Yeah, it's just very upsetting. So George reluctantly goes on with it. I'm sorry, blah, 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 won't happen again. And he walks <laughs> off and George just gives him the finger. Um, at the funeral parlour, at a BA meeting, blood addicts? Yeah. Yeah, let's go for it. BA meeting. <laughs> there could be people who are addicted to eight, flights to the eighteen of oh, oh, flights. See, I that's a cultural <laughs> difference. I went with the eighteen. BA you went with I ain't getting on no plane, and I was like British Airways. <laughs> There's the link. <laughs> <laughs> so it could be a mixture of people who love the eighteen and love flights. <laughs> well, I don't know what they would talk about. Yeah, so Ivan is the new poster boy of sobriety. My name's Ivan, and I'm a blood addict. 190 years of servitude. Think about that and tell me it isn't time to stop. He takes his seat and gives Mitchell a stare. Do we think that Ivan is properly give, trying to give this a go? Maybe he's convinced himself, but he probably always knew that he wouldn't be able to do it. On his lunch break, George is having with Sam. He is enjoying a whole chicken to himself, but at least it's not tied to a bit of string. That wouldn't go down very well as like a first date, would it? <laughs> Imagine just dangling it from above his head and just gnawing at it. <laughs> so he says, when you've had kind of dangerous hair-raising life that I have had, the idea of boredom just seems really exciting. Sam accuses him of being a spy, and this is the second time in the show that George has been accused of being a spy. Although the first time was quite sarcastic. <laughs> 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 and the second time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his hand starts shaking, though, as he puts his glass down. Uh, he walks to the little boy's room and slips out a cock next to a man. And he also lets out a verbal cock. So two cocks out at once, and the man walks away as you, as you would. <laughs> if a man just comes into your idols and just screams the word cock at you, you're going to walk away. It's the first time we get the idea that maybe things aren't going so well for George, isn't it, yeah. with his plan. Uh, Sykes is walking Annie back home and they're greeted by George. Uh, George has laid out a taste test. Hopefully nothing in those bowls is fishy or pissy. <laughs> <laughs> on the kitchen table. Sykes instructs Annie to put her hands on George's head so she can taste what George is eating. She detects something cold, then lemony. And when George tastes some chicken, yes, even more chicken, he's ravenous. Uh, Annie sees a raging werewolf and cuts it short. Russell's comedy timing in this is amazing because he and Sykes just says, no, thank you for your time, George. That'll be the end of that. And he just goes hovering his hands above all the dinner plates. Uh, no, that's fine. I'll... Uh, just throw all this in the bin then, shall I? <laughs> and his foot is glare. <laughs> his hard stare and just storming out of the uh, out of the room. It's like the, the way, I don't know, the way his voice raises on the, shall I? Yeah, that's <laughs> it. That's part of what makes it funny, I think. It's so weird because, I mean, we'll cover the, the American version of being human. And we'll certainly cover the first series because a lot of it's... You know, certainly the first half like. is quite like for like. But seeing the American version of the scene, I haven't seen it for years, is quite weird. 
Because... Oh, no. Yeah, I can't think of it offhand because I think I've watched it once 10 yeah, years I... ago. Yeah, I'm the same. But I remember just thinking that this was one of those scenes out of out of most of them. I, always, I thought most of them were quite weird. But this was one of those scenes that was especially weird. And I can't place why. But maybe it's because it's so unique and Russell's performance is so unique. And you can't better that. You can't just get someone going and go, oh, just have a have a mood about some thing and, and walk out the room because no one's going to do that like Russell Tovey did it. No. And I think this very used to seeing George as quite passive and, yeah, like to, for that all to come out, it's like it's quite a shock, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So back at the funeral parlour, uh, post-Blood Anonymous meeting, Ivan is working the room. I swear I'm going to be giving autographs soon. It's like being in a boy band, he says to Mitchell. The thing about boy bands is all about the image, though, isn't it? Behind closed doors, they can be, you know, dressing up as girl guides, snorting coke, fucking swans. You know, all that matters is what happens on that stage, right? (laughs) Another wonderful Ivan monologue. He confesses to Mitchell he can't stay clean, and Mitchell tries to assure him it's only been a few days. Yeah, after 195 fucking years. He says, I'm not going to quit. I may be many things, Mitchell, but I'm a man of my word. I will stand in that room and talk about how brave and strong we how we all are, how this is a fight that we can win. I will do that for as long as you need me to, but I cannot do it dry. This is almost like, weirdly, a moment of weakness for Ivan. Yes, but yeah, like I said, he did, it comes across like he did believe he could do it, doesn't it, mm. in this? And does he get his own theme? theme music or something it's like it's always swelling up in the background isn't he and he's giving these monologues and i'd say sort of the way he speaks them it it come it's quite powerful uh the scene ends unresolved but we know ivan will win this fight and he kind of you know that mitchell sort of he sees the sense in what ivan's saying in that they need him on side for the image so at the school, George and Sam are going through boring workplace necessities. But most importantly, guys, I have Mitchell's phone number. Get your pens ready, guys and girls. O double seven double O nine hundred three four five. There you go. I wonder if anyone's ever rang that. Uh, do you know what? Shall I ring it? Shall I ring it? It probably be. It's probably like a phone number from like. It won't exist anymore, will it? No, next no, is like about fourteen years ago. In fact, probably fifteen years ago when they were filming it as well. Right. I don't think O seven numbers exist anymore. O seven, O O, nine O O, three four five. Right. Face yourself, people. <laughs> I've dialed an incorrect number. <laughs> oh, Mitchell must well, I, have changed his number. I, I, could, I could just pretend. Hi, Mitchell. Yeah, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, cool, yeah. Yeah, tomorrow night? Yeah. All right, mate. See you later. There you go. 077. Yeah, that's not a number. What a shame. Uh, there's an awkward moment when Sam gets to goes to get a folder and they almost kiss. Turns out Sam deleted George's files to get him trapped in the corner and pounce on him. His chicken eating skills clearly impressed her. (laughs) What are your... I mean, it's not first impressions now because obviously we know the show, but Sam comes across as very naive and I think not... almost like the complete opposite to Nina, so that's probably what George is picking up on, isn't it? That he's, he's drawn towards. Yeah, she's she's quite she's quite forward, isn't she? And it, it oh, I don't know. I find these like their scenes quite awkward to watch in this actually. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a smooch, and I'm just thinking, but what about Nina? Yeah, I understand why all this needs to happen, like George getting a new job and trying to move on with an, another woman. It, I would say it does feel quite quick compared to where. George, I almost called him Russell again. <laughs> What's that about? Where George was left last episode, hit to like pretty much halfway through this episode, the how far he's moving on quickly. 
Yeah, I suppose it's like your classic sort of rebound thing, isn't it? Like he's he's kind of decided that he's okay. He's going to take Nina's advice and he's going to move on and live his life, and he's gone straight in for the first woman he's come across. That yeah, yeah. So that evening, George is sat in front of the TV, replaying all the footage of him sleeping as a werewolf, stroking the screen. He looks very plaintive, and I would say almost sad. Do you think he, he he sort of knows, doesn't he, already at this yeah. point that there's something up with it? Yeah. But you know, like, he almost maybe misses the wolf or something. I don't know. It's like he's trying to reach out to that part of himself, maybe. On the way to school the next morning, George meets up with Sam again and his wolf Tourette's becomes more of an issue. He runs away, makes his excuses and leaves and finds a corner to shout. And I quote, fuck balls, shit, Shitty fuck, shit, shit, shit. <laughs> Register it's a parking trademark. ticket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a parking ticket. Well, at least he didn't slip out a cock in public, you know. <laughs> I'm here all week. <laughs> this is where it is clearly tipping beyond the point where it's becoming unsalvageable now. Yeah, he's he's like losing control of it, isn't he? And time for a house meeting as George explains to his housemate... This can't be happening to me. I can't. I teach language and not even containing the sniggers, Mitchell responds, a face full of glee. Well, you could teach bad language. It's a brilliant. It's not on a par with um, the wolf was in. I had the wolf in me. So was, so did Nina. But it is up there. <laughs> but that's there is a similarity that, to that. And also, yeah. especially in series two, these characters are becoming in, increasingly disparate. So these little scenes where they are actually around each other are really nice. Yeah, so it's almost like getting little snippets of season one back. Yeah, well, I would say it's really nice, but then George tries to punch Mitchell in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Which Mitchell catches. He catches very well. Yeah, so they're sat on the sofa and a calmer George talks through things a bit more seriously. Did I mention I've been getting a little bit annoyed, a little bit angry lately? I got cocky though, didn't I? I thought I could put the wolf to sleep. It was like I could feel him pacing up in his cage. Up here, he feels cheated. He feels aggrieved because I didn't let him out. I didn't let him rage. And he wants to rage so much. He goes on to explain his day. On the bus home, there was this kid about 16 and he was playing one of those phones that has a little speaker. And he was playing it really loudly and nobody was saying anything. And I wanted to, te- I wanted to tell him. Tell him? Kill him, I think. Kill him. That's my writing. And I wanted to kill him. <laughs> yeah, tell him. That's not really much of a story, is it? I wanted to give him a real good telling off. Excuse me, mate. Just turn it down. Yeah. Um, I really wanted to kill him. I pictured myself picking up that phone and smashing it in his face over and over. But you didn't, George. You didn't give into it, Annie says. And George shakes his head. He got off the bus. It's such an underrated little moment, that, I think, because it's really yeah. powerful. It's what... It's almost then what could have happened is where the power is. And again, it's so different, like coming from George. Yeah, it's kind of left hanging. It's like the, what George is now capable of, not just as a werewolf, but in human form. Uh, Mitchell and Ivan meet up by the coffins where all good vampires should hang out. So you have the package, Ivan offers a way of lightening the mood. Mitchell opens a door in it. <laughs> And in there is Campbell's goth girl from earlier, tied up, scared, and I think with this, it's a very big case of expectation versus reality for this girl. Yeah. (laughs) Reality, sexy, handsome vampire, drinks from her, she goes home, they they have sex, she goes home. This reality... (laughs) It's like, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. And Mitchell says, don't kill her. Ivan says, you're saving lives, Mitchell. And while licking his lips and getting his fangs out, and he goes, yeah, I'm a fucking hero. Enjoy your meal. It's like we'd, we'd see Mitchell going deeper and deeper, don't we? Like, um, you know, in the last episode, he's sort of, he had to bribe the coroner, and now he's kind of a, turning a blind eye to Ivan feeding, and also the fact that they've kept this girl, even though they give her her bus for her home, but she's still been kept locked up, and yeah, it's well, sort. There's pros. They gave her a bus for her home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Ivan fangs up, and she lets out a big old scream. No, I was gonna say, thinking like Mitchell's head. It's like the sort of 
the greater good thing, isn't it? Again, yeah. coming up like that he's letting this happen, but he thinks that having Ivan on board will help. Yeah. And once again, he's falling into all the things Herrick was doing that he thought was wrong. Yeah, that's true. Back at the pink house, Sykes says Annie is ready, though to be honest, so far his training has involved looking at someone and switching a telly off. Where did you die? Is it far? She points out to the bottom of the stairs. Ta-da! They turn on all electrical equipment. From the radio, the mind games begin. In other news today, a young woman was killed in a tragic fall in the home. We hear a crash and Annie turns around to see herself on the floor. Blood dripping from her head and the front... Oh, it's not the front door. It's a new door that appears and creaks open and Annie starts having a passive-aggressive conversation with herself. I think this was one of those scenes that was um it's not quite as scary watching it back but it was yeah. quite scary the first time i think I, I saw it yes um i know what you mean maybe it's probably the effect of the door glowing and stuff like that that maybe take you out of it a bit like, and it's sort of yeah i think it's another one of those cases where because you're sort of seeing well annie like on the floor but that's one of the men with sticks and ropes. But because you're seeing the thing, it's not quite as scary as when they're just on the radio or they're doing something else yeah. through somebody else. Yeah, I suppose if you compare this to the scene with Saul at the end in the hospital, it's a different level, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and also this isn't the first time that Annie is basically hovering above herself, an image of herself at the bottom of the stairs, because that happened in series one as well, when she had the flashback about Owen killing her. Yeah, that's true. Uh, fake Annie turns to Sykes. Of all the men who died because of your mistake, your cowardness, and we hear the sounds of war raging as Sykes cries. This kind of elaborates on what he himself said earlier, picking up on the weak, or in this case, on his trauma. Fake Annie says, it's just me and you now, girl. We could eat you up. And real Annie stands up for herself. You might have put on my face, but you're one of the men. It's just tricks. You put on a mask to frighten me. You convince people to hurt me. You've got to keep me scared because you can't actually do anything. I thought you were an army of devils, but you're not. You're a magician who's come to the end of his act. And this, this was your big finish. It's pretty poor. You've lost your audience. And then she shuts the door and fake Annie disappears. I think a lot of this, if we're talking about Owen just now, is kind of reminiscent of the way the three of them confronted Owen in the episode that we covered together where the wild things are as well. Yeah, and I think, again, it's another moment where you see how far Annie's come along. Yeah, it's, it's basically Annie standing up to her oppressor, stroke manipulator. Owen yeah. was just the human form, and this is the spiritual, I suppose. And we sort of, um, like, she's doing it on her own this time, isn't she? Like, she's not got yeah the support of George and Mitchell there, and they've kind of taken Sykes out of the picture. We'll, we'll, we'll cover it when yeah. we go to the, the, the Stike speech at the end. But I know what you mean about this scene. A bit like the opening a scene in the episode where Annie was being dragged by the homeless man or this one. It's, and weirdly, I know I'm picking up on it, but that scene in the school where it seems that with, there's that weird edit. There's certain elements of this episode that are a bit flat. Not all the yeah. way through, but there are certain little bits which I wouldn't associate with being human as a whole because I think mostly it's not. But I think because it's quite rare in this show that when you notice them, they stand out a bit more. Yeah, it's, I suppose, like I said, it's normal. We're used to a certain level. So Lucy and Kemp are standing in front of newspaper cuttings and candid photos of the trio. They contain a hell of a lot of photos of Mitchell, so it's safe to say that Lucy's a fangirl. Kemp breaks the news that vampires have set up base at the funeral parlour again. He explains his thought process on the difference between werewolves and vampires in his mind. For the werewolves, we are trying to free an innocent soul. I'm not convinced of that, Kemp. But the vampires, the battle's lost. There's no soul left to save. So that kind of suggests that he's not really on a mad killing spree of werewolves. Yeah, or he's at least trying to pretend at the moment that he's not. Or maybe he's almost sort of trying to keep Lucy on side. And this is where we kind of first see chinks in Lucy's arm as she says that John is capable of change and she wants to prove it. Kemp is clearly unconvinced and probably a little bit jealous. Yeah, it's almost like he's a bit jealous, isn't he? But he's also 
thinks that maybe Lucy's starting to fall for Mitchell or he's seeing a little bit of that in her, like she's believing him rather than Kemp. And... Yeah. Now back at the school, George catches Principal Dick carrying out some awful lead-based flirting. It's even worse than the water-based flirting George was doing earlier. Uh, it's it's innuendo isn't it but there's absolutely (laughs) no pretense about it at all no it's horrible yeah she's clearly uncomfortable he's not really noticing but george storms away in anger and punches the blackboard and sam comes in and reassures him about his swearing and asks him to lunch fuck you he shouts which is actually (laughs) better flirting than uh the principal was doing and better flirting than george's uh normal efforts as well then you smell like a polo yeah george washes the blood from his hands in the toilets and spies mr sands suck cocks it's singular not plural have i taught you nothing but he doesn't do what most people would do if they were accused of sucking dicks in public he doesn't wipe it clean he decides to add to the graffiti to make it grammatically correct graffiti (laughs) it's like um there's two E's in pedo all over it. There's one yeah. E in pedo all over again, isn't it? Yeah, I like the way the show has those similarities. Like we've mentioned a couple of similarities with other episodes in previous seeds, and that that totally rings of that, doesn't it? It's yeah. so it's like it, a, almost like a callback. Yeah, and it's like it's the part of the character building as well, isn't it? That George is sort of so bothered about spelling and grammar. And guess who walks in? The principal. Again, he's fucking horrible. He's getting in George's face and he oversteps a line when he wants an apology for daring to date a woman so way out of your league. And there's no other way of putting this. George smacks the shit out of him and pummels him until he's bleeding and crying. It's really weird to see George do that in human form. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of, it's horrible to watch, but at the same time, he does deserve it a little bit. (laughs) He does a bit. Yeah, we'll we'll allow it. And he says above him, you tell anybody about this, I will finish the fucking job. And Russell was so great. If we talk about that scene in the kitchen where he did that little lilt at the end of his storm out in the kitchen for comic yeah. type for comic timing, in this he looks so fuck so far fucking gone, his eyes look dead. It's like the polar opposite, isn't it, of yeah. what he was doing in that scene, but he does both really well. Yeah. Uh, it's such a George-centric episode as well, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, I mean, he looks so vacant behind the eyes, like, you know, he's committed this brutal attack and he's dead to it almost. I suppose it's like he's, he, he's given in to it, hasn't he? And yeah. he's let the wolf rage. At the park, Annie and Sykes are saying their goodbyes and Annie wishes she could be seen again. But Sykes says, you were never meant to be seen in the first place. There's a natural order. There's life, there's a door, and then somewhere in between them, there's ghosts. But you, you were something different. And Annie asks what happened to Sykes in war, and he puts it down to making the wrong choice. I've had 70 years to think about it, he says. I go through that door, and I know who's waiting for me. In a way, has Sykes been turning down doors? I think it's sort of alluded to isn't it that he has or he's been avoiding it I, yeah. I do feel so sorry for Sykes and in that other you know in that scene where they are being confronted by the the men with sticks and ropes and you just sort of I, I want to give him a hug because you think like he's 23 yeah and he, he's gone through all of that and been at war and things yeah it's just it's quite he's quite a sad character really isn't it his story yeah and I and I think Brian Dick does a brilliant job of just conveying firstly the hurt that he's obviously going through, but also why he's so stilted and because of just what he's been through. Like you say, 23 is a boy, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's part of that era as well, isn't it? Because it's like the whole stiff upper lip thing and Mm. very British and he's got that going on as well as as his trauma. But I think at least he does, like in the rookie leaks, doesn't he? He gets a, a happier ending. Yeah. Of Annie, he says, from now on, the door will be your choice. And Annie asks why she'd ever choose to go through. Uh, this is one of my favourite bits of the episode. He says, the world will change around you. You'll see people you fall in love, have children, grow old and die. All the things you can't do anymore. I think it's so understated yet direct. And it kind of lays bare, really, what Annie's got lying ahead. Because no matter how much she tries to fight, you know, there's the inevitability of the world changing around her. 
Yeah, and it's absolutely foreshadowing, isn't it, for for what happened sort of later in this series and then later in other series. Yeah. And that's why I think I like that line so much because obviously all the context around it as well. Yeah, it's like it's got a good meaning the first time you see it, but then when you go back after watching all of the series and you get that aspect of it as well. Yeah. And then he says, but then you find something else, the next adventure. They salute each other and Sight goes on his maybe not so merry way. But he's improved for having met Annie, I yeah. think. Who doesn't improve for having met Annie? <laughs> Owen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, back... Kirby. Kirby, yeah, true. Uh, back at the funeral parlour, Ivan is taking all the plaudits after a group meeting and there's an uncomfortable look between him and Mitchell because they only those two know the lie that's going on. And then the episode ends with the sad sight of George as a human lying naked and weeping alone in the cage it feels extra sad because he's it feels like he can't trust himself as a human now as and as a werewolf so he's just locked himself in and he's ripped up his list as well i haven't noticed that yeah the camera like as it sort of pans into him you see the the sh- like shredded paper and you see his like keys and his um, i think is it his necklace yeah. and they're all outside the cage so he's really given up yeah I think it's a good episode. I think despite the fairly slow start and no offence, Sykes, the pretty lame training, <laughs> the storyline li- improves Annie's understanding of where she is in the world. Even though it's quite harsh, I think she comes to terms with that. George has ever go through a range of emotions from being at the start ecstatic and hyper and happy to the end crying. Mitchell is kind of just muddling through. It wasn't. It's yeah. not. It's not a major storyline for him this week, is it? I suppose it's more like just based around the vampires. Yeah, it's just sort of helping that storyline tick along, isn't it? But he's not centre stage in this one. It's another episode that proves, like Longer the King, just how far apart the trio are becoming because they're just yeah. not talking to each other and not sharing each other's experiences a lot. Yeah, they're all sort of separate. They have their little moments where they come together, don't they? But they've got their separate stories, and it just gets worse and worse sort of throughout this series thank you very much for listening you can now support the podcast by offering a donation to ko-fi slash boxtunnelpod.com i will put the link in the show notes and it's just a way of helping me with a bit of the running costs that go towards making the show you can donate whatever you like and it will be greatly appreciated and it will just go towards the running costs of the podcasts you can find the show on Twitter at Box Tunnel Pod and on Instagram, Facebook and Tumblr as the Box Tunnel Survivors Group. Until next time, I'm off to fuck a swan. was the Box Tunnel Podcast, and thanks.